Blog. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian, I bet our guest is on the other line just dancing her heart out right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, welcome, welcome everybody to the Abundant Solutions Hour. And tonight, we have a powerful show. We have a very powerful, powerful woman tonight. And Brian, this is someone that we had on before. And we had a wonderful time with her. And at the time, we were talking about our new president. At the time, it was before the election. We didn't know, but we kind of figured that he would be. And the things that she's doing, uh, it just touched so many people. And and it's the same thing that Barack is doing right now. And, Brian, they have something in common. Yes, they do. Mm. You know, they are – well, I'll let her tell a little bit more about her story, but – you know, the thing that was just inspiring was the fact that she was talking about the uh, the issue of race and race relations and, you know, her experience with, you know, racism. And so it was just a beautiful thing that once this president, you know, once Barack Obama became the president, it was sort of like a dream realized, I'm sure, for her, but also for a lot of other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, Brian, you know what? The, just the other day, the Attorney General made the, the, the statement that we are, when it comes to race, we're a nation of cowards or something similar to that. And mm-hmm. that is so true. We're going to get into that a little bit, too, because that is so true when it comes to racism. People shy away from that, and as long as you shy away from it, you'll never really, you know, we, we can never really get over it. And And for Obama to become the president, and for people to cry, and for for people to say, "I never thought I would see this," that is truly amazing to me. Because what that tells me is they really didn't have a lot of faith in the American people to vote for an African American or biracial president. Right. You know, I think it was more so the fact that you know people weren't ready for it because you know we've had plenty of African American candidates come out you know, to run for president of the United States, but not many of them were taken seriously. Mm. And so I think what happened is, here it is, you had a man who took his race not only seriously, but he took it to the people. Mm-hmm. You know, he took it to the people, wherein before everybody was sort of standing up on the podium, he was down in the trenches saying, look, you know, the change that we need does not come from Washington, it comes from you. So he put the onus back on us and made us take a look at our own lives and how we could better ourselves versus saying that Washington would solve all of our problems. You know, Brian, one of the things that I don't like, I think it's the main thing that I don't like, when you're talking about the president, the first thing that they say is African-American, African-American. They they keep saying that, but Mm -hmm. he's biracial. What about his other side? You can't leave out the other side. I just don't think that that's fair. Yeah, I agree. You know, the thing is, and I and this is just something that happened from, you know, long ago. They all they always said that if you had a a drop of, you know, America of of black blood, then they, you were considered African American. Yeah. You know, and so I think now that the, that the the racial lines are sort of blurred even more. I mean, if you really look at it. 
nobody is pure anymore. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, who who's to say that, you know, full African-Americans are truly African-American or Caucasians are truly Caucasian? I mean, there, there's the, uh, America has become such a melting pot of different races mm-hmm. that, you know, why is it so – I mean, in, in most, people, most people may disagree with me on this, but why is race so important? To you know, I mean, I'm proud to be an African American, but I'm more so proud to be an American. You know, and so I don't think people people sometimes take race too serious. Mm-hmm. You know, and at the same time, sometimes they don't take it serious enough. Right. And you understand what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I understand 100. percent Okay, but you know what? The person that we have on the night, Brian, is really going to, she's going to touch on that. And she's also going to touch on some other things, that, some services that she can help you with. And I, I don't want to just let the president overshadow the show, but, Brian, you were in Washington, D.C. at the inauguration, and that was a beautiful, beautiful thing, and we're going to push you to write your book about that. But there are ways that you can write these books. If you don't know how to start, our guest can help you get started. She can, you know, she's been doing this, she's been tried, she's been tested. And, Brian, she, her books, I tell you, her books are awesome. Yeah. And we're going to talk about those things. We're going to talk about how she got started and what what's keeping her going. And I know before we started the show, Brian, you mentioned that you really want to talk about writer's block. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do, because I've experienced a little bit of writer's block recently, you know. Yeah. And like Greg said, I'm actually, you know, in the process of writing a book, and I got the first chapter done, and I wrote out what I want for the second and third chapter, but I just can't get the second chapter started. Well, we'll work on that tonight. You know, but let's uh, go ahead and introduce our guest. Our guest tonight is Miss Elizabeth Atkins, and she's a best-selling author, a diversity speaker, a ghostwriter, a writing coach, a journalist, a poet, a writing instructor, and an expert on multiracial identity and interracial families. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Elizabeth Atkins. Oh, thank you, Brian. That was beautiful. And thank you, Greg, for having me on this evening. I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. I can't wait to share all of the expertise and experience that I have with writing with everybody out there who's dreaming about writing their book. Um, and now is the time. There are more opportunities than ever to self-publish, which is more accessible and affordable than it's ever been. It's really the way to go. Right now, the publishing industry has suffered just like the rest of the economy. And so self-publishing is really the best route right now. It can, you can literally have your, hand, your book in your hand in a week. But there's a lot of pitfalls out there. So I hope that tonight I can steer people in the right direction um, to tell their story, make their mark on the world, and inspire and uplift others. Good. Awesome. Starting Absolutely. with you, Brian. <laughs> yeah, starting with me, of course. <laughs> you know, and I was going to say, you know, one of the things that I've found that um, when I become inspired, there's always something that just sparks me, and I, I'll jump up and I can't sleep mm. until I write. Mm-hmm. But after I've written, you know, a little bit or, you know, some of what I wanted to express, mm-hmm. I sort of get in this stage of complacency, and I'm like, okay, that was good. Let me look over it. And then I, yeah, and I sort of like throw it to the side, 
because I'm I'm sort of, you know, fed that bit of hunger. Mm-hmm. And then it takes a while for that same feeling to arise again, and I begin to write some more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How can I consistently keep that fire burning to write? Well, it has to totally come from within, and if the story or the information isn't coming to you, then it's just not the time to do it. Because writing is such an immense effort. It's so um, all-consuming when you get started. Sometimes I don't allow myself to write because once I immerse, it's like I have two personalities. One is a complete hermit that's all by myself here writing at my desk for hours and hours and days and weeks and months where I shut out the world. And then the other personality is this person who seeks the limelight to promote what I've written. It's really bizarre. Um, So when you turn off the world and immerse into your writing zone, you have to really, really be psychologically ready for that because your story or your material will take over. Now, as far as writing, as far as writing block, writer's block goes, I really don't believe in that concept. My sister has a master's in creative writing from University of San Francisco, and on the first day, the professor said, "You don't go to cooking school and say you have cooking blocks, so don't come to my class and say you have writer's block." <laughs> I like that. But I, what I do think is we have high-energy days and we have low-energy days. Some days, like you described, where you can't even sleep and your brain's just popping with ideas, you have to seize that when it happens. And whereas other days when I feel sluggish, my brain is foggy, I just say, I can't write today. I'm going to go run my errands. I'm going to vacuum. I'm going to you know, take care of this and that. I'm not going to try and write because it will be unproductive. So what you have to do is figure out your cycle. This will address your issue now. It will address figure out your cycle. When is your best most creative time? For me, it's morning. After I have that coffee, my brain is like jolting with ideas. Um so I block out and fiercely guard that time. I don't answer the phone, I don't make appointments, I write. Now when you're on deadline, you oftentimes don't have the luxury of deciding when you're going to write. You just have to get it done. I just finished something last week, and it's literally a round-the-clock endeavor. But that's the best process for immersing so that you can remember everything and you just are totally focused. It's the best. It's like euphoria if you love to write. Um, now, to get there, many people don't have the luxury of having all day and all evening and all weekend to write. So I always say one hour a day, one hour a day. After 365 days, you have your book. So think about one hour, how easily we just surf the web, chat on the phone, do nothing, watch TV, blow off an hour easy. So if you take that hour, it takes tremendous discipline to write, first of all, to sit here for hours just to focus. It's it's, it's very difficult, but the reward is so tremendous. I just edited a memoir for someone, and it was phenomenally well done. A man in his 70s grew up in North Carolina, um, became a very successful businessman, and it was such it was this beautiful walk through history through his eyes 
And it, for me, it was just, oh, my goodness, I get to look at all these words and tighten up the language, and, oh, it was just beautiful. It was very well done, and it's his legacy. So everyone listening, now is your time to make your mark, to write your ideas. Think about it. Think about your religious doctrine, whether you read the Bible or the Koran or the Torah or another Hindu literature, whatever you study for your religious doctrine. Someone wrote those thousands of years ago, and you live your life based on those words written thousands of years ago. You know how much power that is? Mm. So if you seize your power now, write down your ideas, write down your visions, your advice, your experience, your story. You can have an impact on the world for thousands of years. And now with digital form of communication, um, such as, you know, DVDs and e-books and Internet, everything, um, things can just exist in this itty-bitty microscopic speck of a computer chip and forever. It's just power. So I urge everyone to seize that power. If you were 90 years old and you went to see Barack Obama's inauguration and you grew up in Jim Crow, I want to hear your story. I want to hear what that was like to grow up under Jim Crow in the South and then all of a sudden watch a black or African-American, biracial, whatever label you put on, a man of color, become our president. The profound emotion that one must experience through that perspective write that down share it with me i want to read it and the rest of the world young people need to read that young people growing up right now who see barack obama have no comprehension of how it used to be i wasn't there but i have through studying history i understand it but young people are in a new world and they need to hear all of these stories so just start writing. You know, Elizabeth, nowadays, now that they have all of this digital stuff that you were talking about, yes. what do you think about people just recording their voices and, and reading it if they don't like to write, if they could just record it for an hour a day or, or whatever? And and I'm sure that as a ghost writer, that's something that uh, someone can put on paper. Ooh, that's an excellent idea. In fact, there is an attorney um, that I know who's doing that. He he has a very successful business model that he's sharing, and he's doing it by talking into a, mic- a tape recorder and then having someone transcribe the tapes. Now, many people ask me, why don't you have audiobooks? So if somewhere, someone were to just create audiobooks based on their story, um, they would be very successful. You can get them made for like $1.50 each and sell them for $10. That's a nice markup, nice profit for you, and you're sharing your story. Mm. That's an excellent idea. I want to just define some of the services because people hear ghostwriter and they don't really understand what that means. Ghostwriter means someone hires me to write their book for them. They pay me for it. A lot of people don't understand (laughs) there's a fee. (laughs) They're like, oh, you can write. You love to do what you can do with my book. Well, hello. It's It's not free. No, it's not. It's like any other service that you would seek, lawyers, dentists, 
you pay them to do what you need done. So ghostwriting is the same. So I can write memoirs, novels, how-to books, business books, anything. As a journalist, I have the ability to be, and also as someone who is biracial, I'm used to living either in white or black settings, or mixed is my preference, but I can, I'm like a chameleon where I can fit in wherever I am. And that translates into writing in that I can work with someone and capture their voice so the product, what I write for them, sounds like they wrote it, like they said it. I wrote a memoir for a man who was a quadriplegic, and he owned a uh, record company. And he, to survive the very grim circumstances of his life after this accident, he developed this really wry sense of humor where he could make jokes about a near-death experience. And that was his survival. So I was able to capture that humor in an appropriate way, talking about the most grave material. So as a ghostwriter, I can write novels or do whatever, but capture your voice. Now I also, for those who don't want to have me write the book or don't have the budget for that, I'm a coach as well. Now when I coach people, it's like I'm a consultant or a guide or an advisor. Say, for example, Brian, you've got your book. You, maybe you haven't mapped out all your chapters. You don't have it focused. When I coach you, I help you take the idea, what is the main thrust of this book? I help you make sort of a skeleton outline, and then I help you flesh out that skeleton with the material required to fill it out as a compelling, captivating book. Um, Here's an example. People starting out writing their memoir might want to say, I was born on May 25th, 1955. Well, if that's the first line of your book, I'm not going to read it. (laughs) (laughs) That is so boring. Everybody's born. Unless you were born at the same same moment that Dr. King was shot or the same moment or on Lincoln's birthday and you become a civil rights leader. You know, unless your birth has some real significance in time and history, don't start there. Start in a place that's going to grab me by my collar on page one and just make me turn those pages. Make me. I'm, I'm hungry. I have to go take a shower. I'm not going to put this book down. I'm not going to do anything until I find out what happened next. So say, for example, um, you used to be homeless and, and had a story like, um, you know, really a, a downtrodden life, and then suddenly you worked and believed in your dream and you achieved fame and fortune. Well, I want to hear the moment where things were most grim for you, when you were eating out of the garbage can. Not you, Brian. I'm saying you in the general sense. When, you know, when everything was horrible, you were outside in 20-degree weather with no place to sleep, and, you know, all these things happened, and you just felt so down, but yet in the back of your mind, you still had that seed of a dream. You see what I mean? Yes. So you take us to the most captivating, depressing moment, and that creates suspense in the reader's mind, like, oh my goodness, how did they go from that to being this famous, wealthy, successful person? You see what I mean? Right, right. And 
And you know, it's it's funny because I can remember reading books like that. Uh-huh. Like one of my favorite uh, people is Tony Dungy. Uh-huh. And when I read his book, and I'm I'm actually reading his book now, Quiet Strength. Oh. That, to me, was an amazing book for one reason only, and is an amazing book for one reason only. He's able to capture moments in his life where he puts you right there, where you feel like you're watching it, like it's a TV show. Yes, absolutely. Yes, that is the goal. And as a writing coach, I help people do that. Here's an example of this. People will say, oh, we shared a delicious meal and it was so romantic. That is so boring. I want you to put me there. I want you to tell me about the candlelight. I want you to tell me about being serenaded by the 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 violinist next to the table, I want to hear about the delicious crab legs dripping with butter down your chin. I want to hear about the delicious wine. I want to hear what he said to you or she said to you during the meal. And I want to hear how their eyes smoldered at each other over the, over the table or how their knees touched. Or I want to hear every little detail that made it romantic, <laughs> what made it delicious, mm. you know? So writing with vivid detail, that's the key, the detail. Describing it like it's a movie playing in someone's mind, not just flat words on the page. Now, everyone has the power to do this. It just takes concentration. Mm. Brian, I don't know about you, but uh, you need to get to writing on your book. (laughs) (laughs) You need to get to working on your book. But, you know, uh, Elizabeth, uh, there's so many people out there that feel like, you know, writing a book takes so long and so hard. It's it's just, and they're just afraid because they a lot of people really do have a book inside of them. Mm -hmm. They do, and they have so much that they can share, a lot of experiences that they can share. Um, And and on this show, we run across so many women, and and, and I'll say, Brian, I know where I'm going with this, I'll say about 90 or 95% of the women that we've talked to on this show, um, some of them are guests, a lot of them are people that just call in, they're dealing with molestation and they're dealing with being raped. Mm-hmm. So, and, and and they want to break that silence. They want to help someone else is out there that went through that or is going through that right now. Mm-hmm. And But they just don't know how to start. You know, starting something like that, writing a book about something like that, it's a little intimidating. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and if, if someone was to hire you to do that, I mean, what? how do you think you would go with that, or would it be just based on the individual? Oh, okay. It, there's, if, if they hired me to do that, I would start with a really grim moment. Um, I would take the whether it's the crime itself or maybe the emotional aftermath or the moments in the hospital, I would take the reader to the absolute most horrible place and describe that. And from there, the immense sympathy that the reader will have for this person and admiration for this person's strength and perseverance and courage to speak out will inspire the reader to continue reading the book. Mm. So from there, 
starting, it's always very important to start with a turning point moment. Like maybe this woman had a perfect life and everything was great, and then a career and a family, and all of a sudden this crime occurred. Mm -hmm. And it changed her life forever. So I would create this moment to start, and then flesh out the story or following her life and how she picked up the pieces and found strength and empowerment and and the courage to speak out. Mm. Now, if someone is to tackle that on their own, they need to... Um, I'm working with one woman. She actually uh, had a tragic experience in her life, and she started writing a journal after. And her journal is now turning into a book. Mm-hmm. So starting with just a journal can help if you if a person feels intimidated by the idea of writing a book. A journal will enable you to write down sort of nuggets of your story, like the incident or the emotional breakdown afterwards or the scorn or whatever emotions occurred. Um, writing down those in small bites. Uh, might be more palatable for someone instead of saying, I'm writing a book. Because even to me, and I've done it 12 or 13 times, uh, even to me the idea when I start off is is rather intimidating because it's huge and you know it's a huge commitment. And once you start, you want to finish. So journaling, just writing down those important nuggets um, and then once you feel that you've and you you will reach a natural point where you feel that you've journaled it as much as you can mm-hmm. and you'll you'll be like okay that's all i need to say you'll you'll just feel that natural pattern and then that's time to review everything perhaps call a writing coach me or you know someone who has expertise in writing to say okay this is what i have how do i organize it into a book I know many people who've written books about that. Um, the Lori Robinson, she's editor of uh, African American Family Magazine. She has a book about her experience of being raped, and I mean, it takes tremendous courage to to do that. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I admire everyone, and the more people can speak out on that, the more awareness um, we all have to protect ourselves and our children. Yeah. And we, we, we saw that you've done some writing. I think you have a book now with with Billy D. Williams. I do, yes. I wrote a book with Billy D. Williams, and that wasn't ghostwriting. That was co-authoring, okay. where we both actually wrote the book together. Um, and he really was the concept man with his, his ideas, and I did the writing because that's my expertise. Um, and it's in the story Twilight is about a movie star, so of course we got to add in all of his insights. Um, writing with someone is really well. He and I worked really well together. You have to have excellent chemistry, synergy, like ideas, um, and his he's he's his viewpoints on race are very much about let's move forward, let's stop this same old same old black and white conversation. And I think that in many respects, President Obama's election has done that. 
Mm-hmm. Conversation isn't over, as the New York Post just showed us. But I think on many levels, America is showing, not telling, which is a huge rule in writing. Show me, don't tell me. And we're showing that major change has occurred. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you would go into the uh, topic of race, mm-hmm. because that's exactly where I was going to ask oh. a question about. Uh-huh. You know, it says here, and, you know, of course we've interviewed you in the past on this, about you being an expert on the multiracial identity yes. and also on interracial families. Mm-hmm. Touch on that a little bit. What makes you, um, what gives you the insight on multiracial identity? Uh, well, my mother is African American. My father was white. I was born the same year as the Detroit riots, race riots. Um, I grew up biracial. I look white to most people, and I am black too. So I live on the color line. W. E. B. Du Bois told us we're the the problem of the color line would be the problem of the of the century. And here we are. It's still a problem in many ways. But I'm not a tragic mulatto, which is that historic, stereotypical mulatto who feels confused, conflicted, alienated, rejected, scorned, like Sarah Jane in Imitation of Life, that movie in 1959. That's not me. And there were no images of me that I saw reflected in media, whether it was television books, movies, nothing. So I decided to write my story into literature. I started writing my novels about mixed-race people, White Chocolate, Dark Secret, which is being shot for a Hollywood movie right now, and then Twilight. And I was also a reporter at the Detroit News covering race relations. Prior to that, I wrote my master's thesis at Columbia's Graduate School of Journalism in New York. So the research that I did about history, the people I interviewed of all ages who are biracial or in interracial relationships, that gave me the expertise and the broad understanding of all the issues involved in mixed-race people and families. So from that is how I can call myself an expert, and plus I live it every day. Um, it's not easy. It's It really, really... When you live on the color line, you are forced to be very independent and figure out who you are because you might think you belong to a certain group, but you don't really on every level. And it can be very challenging when you feel that rejection or you feel that um, sense of aloneness that's profound. So it forces you to be a pioneer. It forces you to do your own thing which is beautiful. The downside is some people can't handle that and it causes depression or isolation or anger. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why I speak out about it because it's to help others. Now, I believe that for all the biracial children born who are growing up right now, Barack Obama is the most tremendous boost to their self-confidence. He is for everyone. However, when I was growing up, there was no Mariah Carey, Tiger Woods, Derek Jeter, Halle Berry. There were no biracial people in the headlines, in the spotlight, who I could look up to and say, wow, I can be that. I can be them. Look at them. There was nobody like that. 
Right. So now it's almost commonplace, and it's cool, and our president is biracial. Now, why do people say he's black and African-American? Well, it's that one-drop rule that you referenced. So if he looks black, he's black, period. Or if he's part black, that's the mainstream thinking goes that that's what he is. Right. You know, and I think it's important that that you talk about that because – the one thing that you talked about in the last show that we did with you was that you experienced racism on a different scope, on a different level, that when people that you were around who had hung with you, and you know, these were white people, that when they found out you were also black, alienated you. Mm-hmm. You know, But prior to that, it was okay for you to be around them, be their friends and so forth. You know, Talk a little bit about that if you don't mind. Mhm. Um th- those are those things mostly happened in high school where um a young man I was dating his family he was actually an exchange student and his family found out that I'm that my mother's black and they told him he couldn't come over to our house anymore and he left a note on my locker saying I can't date you anymore because you're mulatto. Oh, wow. And then another guy, this was all when I was 15, he said, um, hey, Elizabeth, I heard your mom is a, and he used the N-word. Now, it's easy for all of us to say, well, if that would have happened to me, I would just give him a piece of my mind and blah, blah, blah. When you're 15 and the person talking to you is the guy you have a huge crush on and you don't have any coping mechanism for this kind of thing, you don't go off on them. I didn't. What it felt like was a slap in the face, and it was this feeling that, wow, there's a part of me that people don't like, and it has nothing to do with how nice I am or smart. It's just me. And that's really difficult to grasp, but I put it back on them. I said it's their problem, their loss, and I keep on stepping. But I feel more determined to use my shock value to make a positive impact. And I do that through writing and speaking. Now, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, let me ask another question. I don't know if I asked this before, but since we're in a new show, I'll ask you again. Okay. Did you experience racism from African Americans once they found out that your mother was black? Usually that makes them love me. Huh. Usually it's like if they meet me and think I'm white, there's a certain sort of distance sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, when I say I'm black too, all of a sudden it's just all about love. (laughs) (laughs) It's really bizarre. But it showed me the same thing. There's something about me that I have no control over that will make people like me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not anything about me. But what I choose to do is live through spirit, even though we live in a very shallow world, so what you look like matters. But when I let my happy spirit uh, rule, it really does make a huge impact first, Mm -hmm. everywhere I go. So I see it on both sides, and the brainwashing that we've had for centuries on this isn't just going to go away but i think we're making huge progress yes you know i i wanted to talk to you i wanted to ask you a question about the first lady uh, michelle obama 
Yeah. And <clears throat> I think her thing now is she she's really into education, and I see that she's really into uh, going into the schools and talking with the kids about reading and writing. Yeah. Uh, um, what do you think about her doing that, and 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 how she's and how powerful a woman she is for doing it the way that she's doing it? She's not just talking about it. I mean, you actually see her going in there and doing the work. Uh huh. I love that. Writing, as I said earlier, gives you power. There are many studies that say the better your communication skills, whether written or spoken, the more money you'll make, the better jobs you'll get, the more promotions you'll get. Good communication skills are the key to success, period, whether you're at your job or in a relationship or talking to your neighbor. So writing gives you power. And I, when I do my How to Write a Book and Get Published workshops, I talk about how everything starts with the written word. The song that's your favorite song that you listen to on the way to school or work, somebody wrote the song. All the movies last night celebrated at the Oscars, someone wrote them first. The rules of law that you obeyed when you drove to the station tonight or <laughs> when you drove today, you obeyed some laws that somebody wrote. When you read the ingredients on your dinner package or at the grocery store, somebody wrote that. So writing gives you power. It gives you the ability to impact the world. Um Reading, the ability to read, that's our ticket to learning. And even though reading has changed forms so much on the Internet with small snippets of material compared to big books, and we still do read books, but reading is the gateway to knowledge. And so the more you read, the better writer you become. Your brain just does that. Um I think it's phenomenal. And the more you read and write, the better speaker you become because your brain just gets programmed to use more words. It expands your vocabulary, and it's all good. It's all positive, and it boosts your confidence. Um, when you look at the illiteracy rate, it's jaw-dropping. When you When you look and see how many people can't read, it's like, how do they function in life? And yet there are millions of people out there who can't read or write. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think it's phenomenal that she's putting, um, the First Lady is putting people in a position to, at some point, write their book, tell their story. Mm. I, I have a it. question for you, Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, it's a question from the chat room, and it's um, she, the young lady wanted me to ask the question. I believe it's a young lady. If she wants to know if you found writing as an outlet for your biracial alienation. Oh, absolutely, yes. That's why I wrote my thesis about it. That's why I covered it as a journalist. But most especially, writing books. It was a way to express how it feels. Um, White Chocolate is about someone who's proud to be biracial. Dark Secret is about someone who's passing for white, so she's hiding it, and she's ashamed. And then Twilight is about somebody who, who knows something's in her mix, but she doesn't know what, because she doesn't know her father. So on every level, I explored being proud. I explored, well, what if I weren't proud? And then I explored... Um, what if I didn't really know, and what if I found out, and how would that change my life? 
so it's so therapeutic. Whatever your subject matter is, the ladies dealing with abuse and rape, it's so tremendously therapeutic to write down how you feel and how you how you can feel better and what you can do about it. Um, it's and then once you you have that aha moment, like I beat this. You can share it with other people. Just today, someone emailed me saying they read my my advice about weight loss on my website and copied down the foods that I mentioned and are and she's eating those foods. Who knew? I mean, when I wrote that, I didn't know someone was going to actually nurture themselves all day long based on my words. That's power, positive power. And we all have the ability to do to have that impact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I'm getting I'm getting slammed on on uh, Facebook. Why? <laughs> Everybody's asking questions. Everybody wants me to ask questions for you. Oh, okay. Uh, but you know, one of one of the questions um, that, that that I'm being asked is, you know, as you, you just people are seeing your pictures. You know, they saw your video today, and, and they see your picture on your website, and they see you as this beautiful white woman. And uh, the question is, do you? How do you deal with uh, black men and white men? How, how do you? How do you deal with them when they come to you? Because <laughs> you have to tell them. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to uh, read this and and not say it exactly the way that they put it, but. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. How do you how do you how do you deal with that? Because you have to tell them at some point um your background. Oh, it's never a secret. Never a secret. Um interestingly, I have a, a, a black female shape, if if you could I have a Beyonce shape. Uh I'm curvilicious. <laughs> <laughs> Need I say more? <laughs> so sometimes it's really hilarious, actually. Sometimes out in public, white men will look at me like they'll see my blonde hair, and they'll kind of glance like, hmm. And then they'll see my shape. They're like, oh. <laughs> Baby got back. <laughs> but then um, African-American men and Latin men love it. So I was literally walking down the street in New York once, and this truck was full of Hispanic men, and they were all like, like, practically leaning out the windows <laughs> of this truck, like look waving at me. It was really wild, but it just showed me that that certain um, ethnic groups appreciate um, shape and size differently than. Um, others so i celebrate that i love it it's it's a beautiful thing so it's never a secret what i am um i mean i go on national tv talking about it i'm on the radio now talking (laughs) so i it's not something i would ever ever hide ever well somebody in the chat room has found your uh, website and they're talking about your two-piece bikini that you were wearing But but we're gonna we're gonna let Brian go ahead with his question. <laughs> okay, see now you put me in an awkward situation because now I have to follow the two piece bikini with. Yes, yes. You, you can do it. You can but do I was it. gonna ask her to tell us about 
Uh, and I'm actually on your website, and I'm reading this Bliss Report. Tell us oh. about the Bliss Report. Oh, okay. Thanks. I um I don't like negative news. I'm a journalist, and there was some stuff that happened here in Detroit that was just so negative, one thing after another. And I said, I'm really tired of this. I'm going to do something positive. So I started this blog where I write about being happy. And I'm not one of those annoyingly happy people, but uh, I've been through some stuff, the weight issue, uh, divorce, and other things. Um, And I choose not to be depressed or negative or angry. I choose to be positive and happy and upbeat. Um, And so I want to share that with other people. So the Bliss Report is each posting is about something I've experienced that I believe can help others add some cheer to their day. So I, I end everything saying, find your daily bliss by... I wrote Yesterday I wrote about my new phone, my iPhone. I mean, I'm not one of those gadget people and I'm not materialistic at all, but this phone is so fun and it just... I love it and I've learned all this technology stuff with it and it's just been a blast and today I mean I really suck the joy out of moments during the day and that's my bliss for that moment it can only it can be like a few seconds it can be an hour it can be but do something every single day where you feel bliss Usually people don't feel bliss unless it's their wedding day or their child was born or they hit the lottery. No, little moments can make your life so much better. Little moments of bliss throughout the day, and it's learning, well, what makes you really, really happy? For me, it was 22 degrees here in Detroit today, but I put on my running shoes, and I bundled up, and I went running by the river. I I'm sure I looked ridiculous laughing and smiling as I was running, but it made me feel so happy to be outside exercising in the place where I usually go in the summer. You know what I mean? So running makes me happy, and I did it, and I felt great. So whatever makes you happy, whether it's taking a bubble bath or eating chocolate or gardening, whatever, just do that for a few minutes, and it will just add this beam of sunlight to your day. So that's what the Bliss Report is. It's to counter all the negative out there, and there's so much with the economy and the war. And Just find some moments of happiness. Shut out the world and focus on goodness. Yes, and that's a wonderful thing to do. And, and when you write, I, I think when you read, I was just telling somebody this today, when you read and you're writing and you're doing things, it gives you an opportunity to, use your imagination the way that you want. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you're able to connect with people with your imagination and you're able to pull them in and, and evoke their emotions, that's a that's a gift. I would say I've heard people say that all the time. That's a gift mm-hmm. if you're well, able to do that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And, really... that's what, and that's what you do. Now, uh, your book, White Chocolate, and mm-hmm. your other books, they, I mean, especially White Chocolate. Mm-hmm. It it does that. It pulls you in the book, and mm-hmm. it's it, it's it's a wonderful book. For those that are out there listening, you need to buy this book. Oh, thank you. You need to buy it. It 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 
just tells you. I mean, it just shows you her writing ability and and how it just draws you in. It's a it's a wonderful book. You just need to buy it. Thank you. Yes, and you also want to get her other books that are available: Dark Secret, mm-hmm. Twilight. Mm-hmm. You know, just get the whole the whole trio of books. Buy them all. Thank you. you. People can buy them on my website, too. So Yes, you can go to Elizabeth Atkins, and that is Elizabeth, Mm A-T-K-I-N-S, dot com. Yes. And check our website out. We'll also put the link up in the chat room. Oh, thank you. I already have. And, Brian, uh, like I said, I'm I'm getting slammed. A lot of people are just now coming in. Um, So, you know, we just want to let you know that Elizabeth can can help you in a lot of different ways, and it's ghostwriting, and and coaching, and helping you with your book. So if you have that book in you that you that that wakes you up at night and you can't sleep, and it's saying write, you need to write, you need to put it down, you need to put it down. And uh, and Elizabeth was talking about how important words are, and and how everything starts with words. And even in the Bible, at the beginning it says, "In the beginning was the word." Mhm. Wow. It was a word. That is so profound. Yes, and and if you're a Bible reader, uh, Jesus kept saying, "For it is written." For it is mm. written. He kept saying it. He, he's saying that for a reason. Oh, wow. And, and you hear people say, "Well, sometimes you need to to write it down and make it plain. Write it down. Write it down." So mm-hmm. when you have that, you can always go back to it, mm-hmm. and 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 because you have all these ideas, we have all these ideas in our head all the time. Mm-hmm. But if you don't write them down, they're just going to go away. Mm-hmm. And I know you 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 would agree with that. Uh, Absolutely, yes, yes. You keep a small notebook with you at all times um, because once you turn that creative faucet on, it's just going to gush. So just keep a notebook with you, um, write it discreetly. Another thing is be careful who you share your information with. Oh. (laughs) Um, On two levels. First, if you tell people you're writing a book, there's a lot of haters out there who don't want you to succeed. So don't tell anybody. Just do it. And then invite them to your book party or invite them to Borders for your book signing. Um, Because... There's going to be a naysayers and who do you think you are trying to write a book kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Avoid mm-hmm. it. Just block that out. And then secondly, if you have a phenomenal idea that you think is the best thing since computers were invented, um, don't tell anybody. Um, there's Unfortunately, it's better to be very, very guarded with your ideas. You can't copyright an idea. You can only copyright the way you execute that idea with your writing. So once you ex- once you write it, write the book and file it with the copyright office for the U- with the U.S. Congress Library of Congress, mm-hmm. then it's protected. But if you have a great idea and you share it with somebody, they could take the idea and write your story. Yeah. So don't take uh-huh. any risks. Yeah, Elizabeth, we have a caller on. Brian, I, I think you want to probably go to her. All right, hold on. Let me get to the caller. Caller from the 713 area code. Are you there? I am here. Thank you guys for taking my call. Um, it's so amazing as how the story went from writing a book to God, but I just felt led to call in. 
um, to tell Elizabeth, you, are, you you don't realize how much power that you hold, you know, as you were speaking about the word and, and how it can change people's lives. I, I just feel led to tell you that there's a story even greater inside of you that you haven't oh. really shared with someone. Wow. You kind of kept it in to yourself, and God is saying to you, <laughs> you really need to release that because there's some women waiting on you. Yes. And we, we don't understand that um, the power it is. Uh, um, I, I'm just amazed at God, period, because it was, I was pressed to get home in time to, to log on. Um, I, I, too, have books that uh, I'm in the process of putting together. Well, God is processing the book, as, as I would say. Um, but we tend to keep that uh, those certain spots in our in our in our hearts that we don't want to share to ourselves because we are afraid of what people will say or think um, because we haven't shared it with others. But God is saying to you, you have to, you have to release it because there are so many women waiting to hear your story so mm. that they can overcome that obstacle. Mm. And I'm not really sure exactly what it is. I'm not even going to speak it. You know, you, we can talk off air or whatever, or you know. But you, you, how did you arrive to the place that you are now? You know, wow. that journey of getting there. Oh. Someone needs to understand. I didn't just arrive to this place overnight. It, it, it just wasn't a wow. I woke up and I was happy. There was days <laughs> that I was miserable. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, crying on the floor. <laughs> yes, but God brought you through, uh-huh. and someone needs to know that the same God that brought you out and came and brought you came to your rescue. They need to know that side. You know, your writing is awesome, it's beautiful. But God is saying, "What are you going to do for me mm. to help people know that I am real?" Wow, that is, you know. That is power. He he brought you to the place of, uh, 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 of where you are now because now you have a voice mm-hmm. to be used to reckon. People can see you and say, okay, she's an awesome writer. Mm-hmm. Now when you speak or write, now you hold their attention. Mm-hmm. So what more way of offering Christ to them? Mm-hmm. See, a lot of times we kind of keep that on the private side, you know, and, and we question, well, if I do that, those who don't believe in him may not receive it. Or, But that's not your job. You don't have to worry about those things. All you have to do is worry about do, being his light. Mm-hmm. He will do the rest. Hmm. And so you've been questioning yourself, shall I, shall I, how am I going to bring it? You don't have to worry about those things. Hmm. It's already written. Hmm. Wow. It's already written. What's your name? <laughs> my name is my name is Misty Block, and I have a, a ministry called Sisters with Voices Incorporated. And you know, you guys started out with domestic violence and rape, and that's what I deal with hurting women. Um, mm. I'm actually a, a workshop teacher at the Star of Hope. I'm actually just started that here in Houston, and I'm so excited. Um, but as I was teaching on Saturday. There's so many different walks of life and nationalities um, that, you know, you realize, you don't realize that color, there's no color with hurt. Mm. There's no boundary with hurt. There's no, there's no 
you you know, it doesn't matter what race you're in or what what religion you're in, hurt is the same hurt. But hmm. the power of God, of Jesus who died on a cross, his his healing power is so greater than anyone else. I, I you know, I can only speak for what I know. Hmm. But I, I, I have friends who are, are of different race uh 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 religions and they're so miserable and I keep telling them if you would just walk to the other side you'll heal. You'll find that healing power, and so uh, I, I just felt led to call you and tell you, you know, stop questioning. Mm. How are you going to put it together? Just do it. Mm. It's already written. Mm. It's already written. It's already. Wow. It, it was predestined for you to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and and I, I, I put your website up in the in the chat room. Thank oh, you well, very much. Thank you. Yes, yes. Um, but um, email me anytime. Uh, for prayer or whatever you need, um, but my joy is in helping women find their full purpose. Yeah, um, yeah. that's and my I, joy. You're gonna hear Thank from you, Brian Mickey. and I. We have your number. We we we're gonna okay, call. Okay, well, great, great. That's great. Yeah. Uh, whatever you. I can do, and no, thank you for being the light. Thank you. You know, I, your story really touched my heart um, oh, because you. because I really I really as you were talking heard the hurt. You yeah, know, you can hear it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The hurt is still there. I know you're you're working through it, but it's still there. And I'm going to send you some stuff. I'm going to send you some things that God dealt with me to heal, um, um, because it's a process. Healing is a process. It's not something you didn't get the hurt overnight, and it doesn't go away overnight. You know. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we must understand: is healing is a process. Mm-hmm. But once you learn the process, no one else can ever hurt you. That's right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Once you learn the process, no one can ever come back because you, the process uh, and the steps you go back and apply it each time. Someone comes in because hurt is going to always come. People disappoint us daily. You know, uh, it's it's always never ending. But if we would just stand firm on the steps, and you know, I'm right, that's what I'm writing a book on: five steps to healing a hurting heart. There's some mm-hmm. steps that God gave me to heal, and it was a process. And that's like now. No one else can hurt me because I go back to the steps and reapply them. And now I, I, I'm just a new person. He just made me over. So it's so exciting, you know, that I'm now able to tell people, tell women, hurting women, how to heal, fully heal. Because forgiveness is the main reason people don't heal, because they That's don't true. forgive that person. That's so true. And we're gonna wow. we're gonna we're gonna call you. We're gonna definitely call you. We're gonna have to have you on the show because we really want to talk to you about a lot of the things that you're doing. And it's just so awesome that you would call in and and talk with Elizabeth. And uh, and I'm sure that she's just blown away with what you're doing and the things that you're gonna mail to her. So yeah, that's Amen. just that's just awesome. Brian, are you there? But that's how much God loves us, you know. And so yeah. I'm sorry yeah. to take up most of your time, but. Sometimes we gotta allow, allow God to do what He needs to do. Yes, yes, right. Awesome. Yes, I'm still here. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna uh, say, you know, it's awesome that we do have people who are listening and are, you know, overly concerned with not just their own lives, but with the lives of our guests. And I think it was just great that the young lady would call in and offer, you know, just a little bit to help out. You know, we want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. You know, it's been a great show. I, I really enjoyed it myself, and I really think that, you know, we have accomplished our goal of helping others be more, do more, and have more. And so, you you know, you're always welcome to come back 
and visit us on the show. And, you know, to our listeners, go back, listen to the show, go back, archive it, send it out, because I think this is really a show that others need to hear. I, I really believe that. With that being said, you've been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. We thank you for joining us tonight. We hope that you join us again on Wednesday night where we'll have another exciting show. Good evening, and God bless you all.